Hey everybody, it's Josh and Chuck, your friends, and we are here to tell you about our upcoming book that's coming out this fall, the first ever Stuff You Should Know book, Chuck. That's right. What's the cool, super cool title we came up with? It's Stuff You Should Know, colon, an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things. That's right. And it's coming along so great. We're super excited, you mm-hmm. guys. The uh, illustrations are amazing. Yes. And just the look of the book, it's all just, it's exactly what we hoped it would be. And we cannot wait for you to get your hands on it. Yes, we can't. Um, and you don't have to wait, actually. Well, you do have to wait, but you don't have to wait to order. Uh, you can go pre-order the book right now, everywhere you get books. And you will eventually get a special gift for pre-ordering, which we're working on right now. That's right. So check it out soon, coming this fall. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, flying solo, batching it up. It's a stag party up in this piece. (laughs) Wow. And this is Stuff You Should Know. (laughs) Do you remember the happy days where they had a stag party, Richie and Potsy and Ralph Malf went to a stag party with, I think, Richie's older brother, who I believe was named Chuck? Uh, I think his name was Chuck, but I don't yeah. remember what happened. I, I sort of remember that episode. I think they just got a little f- freaked out, a little titillated, aroused, and then freaked out, I think. Did sounds Fo- like what would have happened. <laughs> Did Fonzie fix a jukebox by hitting it with his fist? I think that even may have been pre-jukebox Fonzie. I don't even know that he was wearing a leather coat at the time. He may have just been wearing that weird gray jacket that he wore at first. Yeah, like the mechanic's jacket. And that Mm -hmm. would make sense because I think Chuck was only Mm -hmm. in the early days of the happy days, the happiest days. Right. But then remember, they like killed him off like pretty graphically. He suffered from dysentery. (laughs) <laughs> for basically three straight episodes, and like that's all they focused on, and then he finally just died. And they said, "Man, this, this is called Happy Days. I think we need to just get rid of him." Yeah, I think they changed their showrunner after that. Yeah. So um, we're talking about ultrasound right now, and if you had dysentery, I'm not entirely convinced that ultrasound would help. But let's say you had a kidney stone instead, <laughs> okay, friend. Ultrasound would help with that kind of thing. Yeah, they could they could sniff out a kidney stone. Uh, yeah, they can. As a matter of fact, but what's funny is they do everything but sniff. Yeah, they they use totally. sound and they use vision. <laughs> I use the wrong. Uh, they, they don't sniff or taste. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, that was great. It should be good. So um, ultrasound. Everybody knows what ultrasound is. Just about everybody's seen an ultrasound picture. Um, you see little babies like in the womb developing, and they're getting all cute and everything. Or else you see them really early on, and they're not at all cute. Um, but either way, I think everybody's pretty familiar with ultrasound, um, and I was too. But I still learned quite a bit from this incredibly outdated article by Craig Freudenrich, PhD. Yeah, and you're speaking specifically of what's known as a sonogram, mm-hmm. uh, when a um, a device that you know we're going to talk about this in more detail, but a device called a transducer probe <laughs> so great. is either put on you or in you, mm-hmm. depending on preferably what, on you, <laughs> depending on what they're after or how close they need to get. Uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. And then what? Well, I mean, you know, I, I can speak from experience. One of the best things in the world is when you 
see that first little picture of uh, oh, baby yeah. and heart beating. I'll bet. Uh, and then the worst moment is when you go in there and get one and that heart isn't beating. Yeah. And it's a, a unnerving moment when you go in there for that stuff. And uh, like I said, it can be – it can it feels both great and terrible and I've, I've experienced all. Yeah. But the thing is, is about ultrasound, Chuck, um, is – it, most people think that it's that's what it's used for is just check on babies, but it's used for a whole bunch of other stuff, yeah, as well, which we'll talk about. And they're starting to find even more um, cutting edge techniques for it too. So it's actually pretty interesting stuff. And the whole thing magically is centered on crystals that are actually hidden in the incredibly greatly named transducer probe. Mm -hmm. And they actually, you know, in a way. Squeeze these crystals, and when you squeeze crystals, especially ones that have an irregular shape, they do something amazing. They produce energy, vibrations in this case. And so by squeezing the crystal, a, a vibration, a sound, goes out, a very high-frequency sound. Ultrasound, and one it, might it even is. say. <laughs> it is ultrasound. Um, on the order of something like, this article says 1 to 5 megahertz, but I saw 2 to 20 is much more standard. Oh, yeah. And a hertz is how many uh, of the same part of a of a wavelength of you know sound or something like that would pass by a space a point in space every second. So in this case, say like the crest of these wavelengths, these ultrasound wavelengths, um, the something like twenty million of their crests would pass by one point in space in one second. Very, very high frequency, very, very tight, um, which makes them very, very energetic. So those are the, the vibrations, the sound that is produced by squeezing crystals. And you would think just squeezing crystals is pretty, pretty great. Let's just give this thing a, a blue ribbon for being a wonderful piece of technology. Mm -hmm. But it gets even better than that. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about the fact that there's a machine that then calculates these distances from the probe to whatever it's trying to measure mm -hmm. and then uh, basically can create a two and now even three-dimensional picture of that. Right. It seems like magic. It does, especially because those, those sound waves that propagate from the crystal being squeezed, which I like to think of as the crystals being squeezed and it's making the sound a delight. It's not like a painful... <laughs> Painful sound that it's uh -huh. making. It's just like, yay. <laughs> yeah, that feels right? great. Um, so those sound waves, when they travel into the body, they hit all sorts of stuff. They hit um, tissue. They hit um, liquid. They hit everything. And it's Everything. Bad. Bone. Yeah. And um, the, the uh, higher frequency of a wave, the more likely it is to bounce back. So the, a lot of that stuff bounces back. And when it bounces back, Chuck, it comes right back into those crystals. And when it hits those crystals, it actually produces electricity. And then that electrical impulse is what's converted into, through some sort of black magic that I have a lot of trouble wrapping my head around, into images. So sound gets translated into images via electrical impulses. And at the heart of it all are those crystals. Yeah, I think if you were to ask your average person... If an ultrasound, like just a yes or no question, like an ultrasound, does it use uh, actual crystals to produce an image? <laughs> you would probably get laughed out of the room by nine out of ten people and say, of course it doesn't. That's some sort of weird Wiccan hokum. 
right? Uh, that you're trying to sell me on. It's it's not real, but th- it's remarkable. I had no idea that it uses crystals. Yeah, I think this machine is actually second only to um, the breathalyzer machine oh, God. in in surprising complexity. <laughs> Yeah, man. And I and I presume the ultrasound machine was pretty complex, but yeah, I had no idea that they were squeezing crystals in there. Yeah, in 1942, there was a neurologist who used uh, ultrasonic waves as a as a tool, as a diagnostic tool for the first time. Named mm-hmm. uh, Carl with a K Dusik, and he was trying to search for brain tumors through someone's skull. Yeah, and I think it was not until the 1950s, so about mm-hmm. 16 years later, 58 that it was first used for a sonogram uh, with Dr. Ian Donald. Yeah, and the great advantage of ultrasound is that you're just, you're sending sound waves, which are mechanical in nature, into the body. Um, You're not using ionizing radiation like x-rays. So you're not going to, like, produce tumors necessarily. There's not, you're just not exposing, being exposed to radiation energy. You're being exposed to mechanical energy. Again, just acoustic waves of sound. But what's amazing about this is that 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 sound, those echoes from that sound that bounce off of the different barriers or what they're called, say, like between blood and tissue and tissue and bone, Mm -hmm. as they bounce back up and they're converted into images, you can see into the human body without using x-rays and without cutting somebody open. So it was an enormous advance that I think really gets overlooked, um, at least by the general public, as far as medical advances go. Like, it was huge when we figured out how to do this. Yeah, and that's why if you ever go to get a sonogram or something like this and they show you an image of your little uh, bread loaf baking in the oven and you catch yourself in your head thinking, it looks kind of cruddy to me, (laughs) just put your foot in the door and slam it real quick. Right. And make sure you don't say that out loud in front of anyone in the room because it is truly a little miracle machine just to get an image that looks that cruddy. <laughs> right. Especially don't say it in front of Carl Dusick. No, no. It would really hurt his feelings. And all this, I mean, this stuff is remarkable because it's the same uh, concept of just the sonar that we use in the military and the sonar mm-hmm. that bats use. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, like our understanding of um, – echolocation, which is ultimately what it's based on. It's shooting out sound and then listening for the echoes and then taking the information that those echoes bring back to judge things like distance, shape, size, all this stuff. You can get a lot of information from sound if you know how to use echolocation. That's what's happening. We're squeezing crystals to make the sound, and then in turn, after they shout, they turn into ears listening for the echoes that come back. And the echoes that come back ultimately become those white or bright or light areas on a sonogram um, that that form like the shape. Those are the echoes. Yeah, and it's way better. The the very first uh, sonograms, they would get boxes of bats. They would open the lid and throw it over the pregnant belly very fast. Right, right. Let them fly around for a couple of minutes Mm -hmm. and then take those bats into another room and give them pads of paper and pencils and said to draw what you heard. And bats are actually pretty good at drawing. Most of them are. It's surprising. Honestly, it looks about as good as the current sonogram. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess you're not a big, you're not super impressed by the the resolution. (laughs) You know, it's fine. Like I said, when you you realize what's going on, it's truly a miracle. And and the 3D ones, um, I mean, those are kind of creepily accurate. 
Right, they are. They have a, a little uncanny valley thing going on. A little bit. I'm not sure why. Yeah. But they definitely do. But that's a huge advance in ultrasound because, like, originally in ultrasound, especially if you just see the the flat one that almost looks like a grainy X-ray or something like that, but yeah. you're seeing something like soft tissue, that's another advantage of ultrasound over X-ray. X-ray typically shows much harder stuff, whereas an ultrasound can show stuff. you even, like, blood. Mm-hmm. Something is... is um, non-dense, denseless? Uh, sure. What's the opposite of dense? Uh, viscous? Loose? Loosey-goosey? Yeah, loosey-goosey. <laughs> Even as something as, as anatomically loosey-goosey as blood, um, the ultrasound can capture that because of the high frequency. And the other, the other great thing about using high frequency is that or the other reason we use high frequency, is the the higher the frequency, the greater the resolution. And it's not a perfect analogy, but it's similar to how if you um, increase the magnitude of a microscope, you can see smaller and smaller stuff. It's very much similar. The higher the frequency of, say, sound in an ultrasound machine, the more finely detailed, the more um, resolution you can have. The problem is, is that, uh, the those higher energy um, uh, wavelengths tend to to bounce back, tend to reflect very easily. Lower energy travels further and further through the body. So what they figured out is you can combine these, and that's how you ultimately get 3D imaging, which we'll talk a little more about in a minute. You want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, and we'll come back and uh, talk about all the parts of this. Uh, I was about to call it the wonder machine, but we already have one of those. So the miracle machine? Miracle Machine's good. All right, right after this. All right, so the Miracle Machine Uh has... uh, and, you know, they they don't explain any of this stuff. They basically, you know, you go in there and they're just like, hey, this thing works. Uh, this is a bit of black magic. And just sit back and, and open up and here comes the probe. <laughs> yeah, we um, I think we should go over the list that appears in this article that was apparently written by Franz Kafka. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we have to. Okay. Agreed? I, I have a feeling you're talking about the the final few things. About what happens during an ultrasound examination? Oh, oh, that part. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. So you got your transducer uh, probe, which we already talked about a little bit. And that is the thing uh, that, that the eyes and the ears that sends and receives those waves. And like we said, it can go if – you, if you see this in a movie, mm-hmm. then um, you're likely seeing the kind that they put on your belly. Right. Because you're far along and they want to see like that little baby and the body parts and everything. Um that is later on in a pregnancy. At first, they use the one that goes, uh, you know, into the vagina with Whoop. a condom strapped on the end of it. Not strapped, right? but rolled down. Sure. I mean, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> you Does know? it? Yeah. I mean, you got to put some sort of protective covering over it. Uh, okay. And what better than a condom to fit okay. over something that's sort of shaped like a penis? Gotcha. And then they lube that thing up and then up it goes. Okay. And then that's how you check on things in the earlier parts of the pregnancy. I would hope that they would have these uh, much smaller. Is it? 
Well, I mean, yeah. I don't. They don't use a mag. They don't need to use the magnum or okay. anything, <laughs> right? But even still, like, the condom you know, fits very loosely too. I should. Point okay, out. okay, okay. That's what I was after. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's. Um, well, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm looking around the room that you're not even in to try and compare it to something. But what does that mean? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm in the. We're working from home. <laughs> no, no. You said you were looking around the room. Yeah. To try to compare it to something, but I'm not there. Correct. I'm, I'm looking for a like object in the room that you're not even sitting in. Yeah, no, I got what you're saying. I was making a different joke that you're not picking up. I'm not picking up on it. Let's say it's as big as this uh, uh, highlighter, sort of like a, uh, sh- a Sharpie magic marker. Okay. Okay. R- roughly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think we're together on the size of the transducer probe that's used early on. It's inserted. Man, and they might use that same. They might use that same one. What, what were you going to say? How did we get through like breastfeeding and female puberty? And this one is the one that's tripping us up so bad. I know. I have no idea. Um, I'm going to get us back on track, though. Watch this. All right. S- that same uh, wand. Pro- wand. Great word for it. Um, it. It might be used uh, anally, orally. Uh, all sorts of different ways. They might stick it in whatever orifice they can. It's not just vaginally, depending on what they want to get a closer look at. Sure. Is You know, especially if they're not just looking at a baby. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Let's do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, up next on the list is the CPU. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, that's the little computer that does all that, that black magic math. Yeah. Uh, and it notes here in the article that contains the electrical power supply. I noticed that, too. I thought that was really specific. Um, so, yeah, like if you look at any um, any ultrasound machine, the even the most cutting-edge ones that they have now look pretty much the same as one you would have seen in, like, the 70s. Yeah. They're just a little slimmer. Um, they're a little more user-friendly. They'll probably have a touchscreen. Uh, I saw that the, uh, I think it's the Siemens Sequoia has a um, gel warmer. Oh. Which I'm sure is very appreciated by patients. Very nice. But I mean, for the most part, it, it's it's just like everything that this article from I don't know, probably 2008, um, <laughs> yeah, is, is is describing. Yeah, you've got your transducer uh, pulse controls, mm-hmm. and that's where you can change the frequency, the duration of the pulses, the amplitude. Right. You Which got- we'll ex- we'll explain what that means in a little while to the to the tech. They might understand what's going on, but really it's them saying, like, um, get clearer, focus, go deeper, 3D mode, that kind of thing. Yeah. But to the computer, it's like, no, we're we're messing with the amount of electricity that's coming and going through the crystals. Correct. Okay. All right, you got your display that speaks for itself. Sure. It's a little monitor. Uh, it says on here, keyboard. <laughs> right. Inputs data. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty funny, too. The next two are my favorites of this list, though. Well, why don't you go ahead, then? Take it away. Mm. I wasn't expecting that. I was taking a <laughs> sip of coffee. Uh, you've got the disk storage device, uh-huh. <laughs> which could be anything from a hard drive, a floppy disk, uh-huh. or a CD. Yes. And it says that it stores the acquired images. <laughs> and I actually wrote, I wish you could see this, I wrote, ha-ha, under that part. <laughs> It clearly does not have a USB drive. No, clearly not, or any kind of SSD driver, anything like that. But then the last one, Chuck, is the printer, which I'm sure still exists, but I'm just guessing that they were in describing a dot matrix printer in this one. <laughs> no, the printer's there, but it's but it's you know it's one of those little guys that you just punch punch the button and it spits out 
and then they tear it off. Yes. So, I mean, you know, they can email you a JPEG, I'm sure, but they're also like, here, this goes on your fridge. Here's a butterfly made out of letters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Take it home with you. That's right. Okay, so... Again, that's still basically the components of an ultrasound machine. What I I was like, surely, surely, this article is just hopelessly out of date. And it, it, I mean, it it really isn't. It doesn't. It didn't capture you know some of the cutting edge stuff that's being used today. But really, ultrasound machines haven't changed that much in the last like ten, twenty, maybe thirty or so years. They've just gotten smaller, more powerful, and as um, as like computer technology has improved, so too has whatever computer you're going to find on board an ultrasound machine. But the 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 nuts and bolts of it are still generally the same thing. And the um the the key though, the thing that's really changed over time and gotten better and more sophisticated and varied is that transducer probe. Yeah, and because I mean, that's initially. Yeah, for sure. If you're going to make any improvements, you want to make it to the transducer probe because it's going to have some pretty big effects. And the keyboard. Uh, Maybe, maybe so, because you do want to input data yes. easily. Uh-huh. But with that transducer probe, initially they had, say, like one crystal, um, and that crystal would shoot basically a static beam that was going out into your body, and it would basically just take a snapshot of whatever it came in contact with. There might not have been much um, adjustment to resolution, to depth, to focus, anything like that. It was just like, here, what do you expect? It's the 1950s. Give me a break. You're looking into a human body using sound waves. Just be impressed with that. But then as they started to figure out how to add more and more crystals into... um, An array? An array, yeah. Uh, you can do all sorts of different things. And now all of a sudden, your output of sound waves can be adjusted crystal by crystal, and your input can be adjusted crystal by crystal as well. So the resolution overall is just magnificently improved since they started making arrays of crystals in these transducer probes. Yeah, and you did a a nice little quickie overview of how it worked, but I don't think we mentioned that it's based on a principle called the piezoelectric or pressure uh, electricity effect. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, And that's discovered by a couple of dudes in the 1880s, Pierre and Jacques Curie. Any relation? I meant to look that up. Yeah, I think uh, Pierre is uh, Marie Curie's husband. Okay. One of the two are. I'm pretty sure it was Pierre. Yeah, and one of the few times the wife has overshadowed the husband's accomplishments. Yes, but all three of them were extremely accomplished. Oh, sure. I don't want to knock the Curies. No. They were great. It's kind of tough, too. They (laughs) actually contributed quite a bit. Um, I mean, how much do you want to go over this again? How much more detail do we we want to throw on people? I mean, I think we basically already explained it. We just left out that it's called the piezoelectric effect, which the Curies discovered. I mean, yeah. But uh, again, ultimately, you squeeze a crystal, and then it makes a yelp, and then it listens out, and whatever bounces back gets converted into electricity. It's a... It's a it's a inherent property of irregularly shaped crystals that is just astounding that that actually happens. And maybe even more astounding that hum- humans figured out how to harness it to look inside the body. Yeah, and, you know, it, they're, the two most important parts are obviously that and the CPU. Mm-hmm. And the CPU, to be able to figure out, and it's, of course, just programmed to do so, uh, it's not an emotional living thing. That, that had, Yet. A, had a fire under its butt. <laughs> right. But the way that it figures out how to, to basically plot these uh, 
I mean, it's kind of plotting densities is what it's doing at the end of the day, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Based on the echoes that come back and the distance of them and, um, yeah, how how uh, energetic the echo is. Because, you know, when a, when a frequency of sound or a wavelength hits something um, and it's bounced back, it transfers some of its energy. I don't think it's... I don't want to say this because we're going to get an email from physics people, so mm. let me just caveat it with that. Physics people. But I, I would be very surprised if there's any situation or many situations, especially when you're talking about something as, as kludgy as the human body, um, where you're going to get 100% reflection back. Right. But based on the different kinds of intensities that are received back into that crystal, th- those can be measured and you can map like, oh, this is actually a very solid part compared to this this part, which now you can see is the edge because it just kind of tapers off uh, and the, the, the wavelength didn't bounce back quite as strongly because some of it missed or some of it was absorbed. Yeah, and the cool thing about all of this is it's done in real time. Uh, it's not right. like they're doing this and then a couple of days later you get your photo. I mean, it's it's all right there right? Uh, in the case of a sonogram and I guess every every use of it, but that's the only one I've experienced personally. Yeah. Uh, it's right there on the monitor and, um, you know, you, you hear the little heart beating too, so it, it actually um, records sound as well. That's neat. And this article didn't really touch on that. It didn't. Um, but I, 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 that's that's just astounding to me. It's like, um, I, I that's the most like sonar. I think is that, um, I mean that's that's where sub. It's the same echolocation as all the basis of this, right? Yeah. Where you're you're making a sound and then listening back for an echo. But in this case, we we've figured out how to transfer those those sounds that or what comes back into images. But it would make sense that you could also just maintain it as a sound too, right? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. I mean, that's what a hydrophone is, that those underwater mics that also just listen to, you know, sound. I, I, that, I'm a little stumped on that one, I have to admit. Or maybe there's a tiny microphone attached. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, be quiet, the microphone's listening. Uh, no, I think that's probably just a part of the, the, the programming and, and maybe... Perhaps that is the easiest part. Perhaps so. But I really feel like we should just come totally clean and say that. Totally guessing. It was all educated guess. Yes. Which you can say is also just making up stuff on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Someone someone can correct us and we'll read it out loud. Yeah, we'll read it out loud. We do that kind of thing. Uh, so like we said, we've been talking about the 2D variety. Um, they they, I guess this was around the mid to early 2000s. Because they talk about sort of the new 3D imaging, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's been around for a while now. Right, it's basically the standard. It's 3D, although I think 2D is still, you know, very much standard. in use. You think 2D is the standard? I think so. Okay, or maybe so, it has to do with how far along, as far as sonograms go. Right, or really what they need to do, but the um, or how what they need to see. I think it probably also depends on that as well. Um, but the so two D is that standard, the the one that almost looks like an X ray. It's basically a snapshot. It's kind of grainy, um, but that's that's what people think of as a a standard two D um, sonogram or ultrasound picture. Yes. Then then you've got three um, D, which is that comes out as a result of the crystal arrays, right? So you can you can 
change the frequency of the pulses that are going out so you can sense things further away with the slightly lower frequency ones and sense things closer with the um, the higher frequency ones. And the th- whole thing puts these images together to create a 3D picture. Yeah, and like I said, if you've never seen a, a 3D picture... It ain't right. ...from a sonogram, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's remarkable that they can get this level of detail. Um, and part of it is... Surely, uh, to delight parents to be, um, there's no right. doubt about it. But it's not just for that. It's not like, hey, you want to see an even cooler, creepy picture of that <laughs> developing circus peanut? Because we right. can, we can do that now. Yeah. Um, it has a lot of uses. You can. There's a lot more detail. You can really assess development of uh, of limbs and the, and the face of the uh, of the baby to be mm-hmm. and. You can really get in there and kind of see more with your eyeballs what's going on. Well, plus also, I mean, if you're looking for something like a tumor, it's much harder to see a tumor in two dimensions as like black and white shadows than it is to see like a three-dimensional lump. Mm-hmm. So that's super helpful for 3D as well. Um, and then there's there's another mode called uh, M-mode or motion mode, which I believe is basically a bunch of 2D images that are just taken in such rapid succession that they are basically are act like a flipbook or a video. Right. So you can see this in, in basically real time or just slightly delayed real time. Because I, I know you kind of referenced that this is all happening like immediately, mm-hmm. but like the pulses that are being sent out and then returning are happening on the order of like millionths of a second. Yeah. Over and over and over again. There's there's that kind of old-timey single beam that's a constant wavelength um, that's not much in use. The new ones are just very quick pulses that are shot out many, many times in a single second. Um, and as those things are shot out, the the stuff is returning just mind-bogglingly quickly to um, the crystals to be turned into data. Now, that's not the, the Doppler one, is it? No. Okay. The Doppler actually uses a, a steady beam from what I read. Yeah, so the Doppler ultrasound, it's mainly used um, to, to find out. I mean, I'm sure they can use it for more than one thing, but it seems like the major use is to measure your blood flow rate. Um, mm-hmm. They can go to your heart. They can go to your major... Uh, arteries, and they can basically see if you've got any kind of blood flow problems because it's measuring a moving thing going through your body. Yeah, and it actually looks like a weather map where they use Doppler radar. I mean, most people see Doppler radar used for things like a um, tornado or something like that to show different wind speeds. So, like, the different flow speeds of the blood flow will be different colors, and they can read that and be like, oh, your, your blood's flowing nicely. Right. You got no problems. Right, Doppler. So, I feel like we should take another break, huh? Oh my gosh, this is so thrilling that I think we need to to catch our breath. All right, and we'll talk about some of the other things that you can do with the Miracle Machine right after this. You know, Chuck, it really gives me a tremendous amount of um, comfort, hope, uh, goodwill, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of stuff like that, that we've come up in our 12th year 
with another name for a machine. Yeah. Like we had Wonder Machine basically from the beginning. I think so. And here we are in year 12 and we've just named another machine. The Miracle Machine. Yep. So we talked enough, I think, about, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about it, about obstetric. Oh, man, I knew I was going to do that. (laughs) Obstetrics. Yep. And when you go in there, like I said, part of it is to delight parents to be and say, here it is. Everything's going. Heartbeat is strong. Everything's happening. But they're also doing all sorts of things. They measure the size of the fetus. Um, They use a a mouse to sort of click around and measure Mm -hmm. different distances. Uh, They determine due date. Uh, They want to make sure that fetus is in the right position. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want to make sure the placenta is in the right position. They want to see how many fetuses there are in there. That's when you get the old, uh, by the way, did not know if you knew this, but there are actually three living things inside of you right now. Or eight? (laughs) Uh, So growth rate, um, you can detect the ectopic uh, pregnancies this way. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a very big one. Um, That is when the baby is implanted in the fallopian tubes instead of in the uterus, and that means it is not a viable pregnancy. Right. It's life-threatening for the mom. Uh, What else? Amniotic fluid. you got to make sure that there's enough cushion around that baby. Yeah, for the pushing. (laughs) Well, yeah, actually, that's right. (laughs) Eventually, yeah. Uh, And then uh, if you want to, say, go in and take a sample of the amniotic fluid, which you can do a lot of things by um, sampling amniotic fluid to test. Um, So there's a lot of reasons to go in and draw some amniotic fluid. I I don't know why I'm trying to convince everybody (laughs) that... That there's reasons to take samples of amniotic fluid. Yeah, Just trust testing. me, there is. But at the same time, you can sit there and look into the uh, into the womb. The womb is okay, right? I'm not like using some archaic and now offensive term, am I? Jeez, I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so either. If I am, please forgive me. I'm genuinely unaware of that. So school me if I'm if I'm wrong. But like, uh, I, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, it's called a baby box these days, my friend. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, So if you want to keep an eye on the baby box while you're getting a sample of the amniotic fluid to make sure you're not accidentally poking the baby, that's the ultrasound is really effective for that. Man, can you believe they used to do that blindly? I was reading an article about using ultrasound to guide um, spinal tap insertions. And this article said that that the authors believed that even though that you can use ultrasound for this now, that the technology is widely available, most neurosurgeons prefer to just go in blind because it's more thrilling. Seriously? This was an academic <laughs> journal article that I was reading, and they just said it. So they crack open some uh, amyl nitrate, nitrate. <laughs> sniff it, and then go in there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wearing a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Uh, what else can you do? You can uh, use this for cardiology. We talked about the blood flow, but you can also literally say, hey, is there something going on inside of your heart? Let's go look. Yep. Um, and especially with 3D and real-time stuff, like you, like it's, it's one thing to say, okay, well, the shape of your heart looks pretty good or the flow of your blood looks pretty good. But thanks to that M mode, so you can see it in motion, you can actually see, make sure that the valves are opening and closing correctly mm-hmm. in the right, the right time. Like it's basically just peeking in real-time onto the operations of your, of your body using M mode. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. It's amazing. We also said, of course, you can see kidney stones, which, by the way, I think we should do an episode on kidney stones eventually. Have you ever had one? 
I don't want to say because I don't want to jinx myself. Okay, so you haven't, but you fear it. <laughs> uh, yes, that's, that's a way to put it for sure. Yeah, I've never had a kidney stone either, um, uh, or gallstones. I've never had any stones inside me. I've, that's good. I've heard that getting those out is quite the ride. Yes. Um, you can also measure blood flow through the kidneys, too. You can detect prostate cancer. You can see lumps on the prostate. Um, that's one of those instances where they'll be using the wand. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I also said earlier on, Chuck, that um, they're getting smaller and higher resolution and more portable. And one of the places that ultrasound machines are starting to pop up more and more, and I think now it's probably just a matter of course, based on how old this article is. Mm -hmm. But in, in emergency rooms, they're starting to uh, really become kind of par for the course. So, like, if somebody shows up and says, like, you know, they're doubled over in abdominal pain rather than sending them to surgery or um, even up to radiology, yeah. they, will, they, they will just apply an ultrasound there and be like, oh, yeah, you've got a, a ruptured stomach. Yeah. <laughs> So we need to we need to get we need to get that fixed pretty soon. And they say, now I wish I would have rushed you into surgery. Right. <laughs> I need a second opinion. Uh, yeah, ultrasounds are safe. Um, there, you know, there have been questions because anytime you're applying uh, heat and energy uh, near organs, like very close to organs, sometimes. Yeah. You got to really kind of consider this, and there have been some reports here and there of low birth weight babies. If you have had frequent ultrasounds during your pregnancy, but um, they have basically come out and say ultrasounds are safe, but sort of like an x-ray, you don't want to come in here every other day and get one. Right. Uh, you want to only do it when, when it's necessary because there is heat, uh, and apparently uh, the formation of bubbles because of this heat when dissolved gases come out of that solution, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a thing, but th they are safe. Yeah, I mean, we've been using them for 60, 70 years now. And there's been plenty of chance for, if that's an issue, for it to, to become obvious and evident. With, I mean, it's it just seems like it's very safe. I did see that there, this article says that there's not been any documented studies that show harm in animals. And that's, a, that's not true, actually. There are animal studies that have shown that exposure to some kinds of ultrasound typically... A continuous wave, which is just a concentrated beam of energy, yeah, that that can actually cause um, thermal heating, uh, which is not good. Um, and then there, I found another study from 2017 that said some kinds, especially continuous wave, but also super um, super quickly pulsed uh, ultrasound uh, has shown that it can break up DNA strands. Oh, interesting. Which is weird because, like, that's one of the things that people have always pointed to is, well, this is just mechanical energy. It's not going to damage your DNA like ionizing radiation is. So yeah. it's pretty. It's a pretty startling revelation. And they actually said in the article, and again, it was an academic journal article. I can't remember which one, um, but it said like this is going to be of, um, like, a lot of interest to a bunch of different fields because we didn't know this before. Yeah, that is interesting. It is. Is it time to read the Franz Kafka? <laughs> yeah. Guide to getting a uh, ultrasound? Yes. I also want to say, Chuck, before we do, though, um, the, uh, th there, again, there's basically no evidence that there is harm that comes from ultrasound exams in, obst in obstetrics, um, especially when it's done by a trained person. Oh, sure. 
Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's anything to be worried about overall. Yeah. I didn't want to scare anybody unnecessarily. No, you shouldn't. Or people should not be. Right. And you shouldn't. Both, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Franz Kafka's Guide to Getting an Ultrasound. <laughs> Number one, man, if we could get Werner Herzog to read this list, that would just be I, amazing. We've got a pretty good uh, <laughs> runner-up in the room. Noel does a great job. I should, we should get Noel in here. Okay, uh, we but, can dub him in. <laughs> uh, number one is to remove your clothes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, number two is the ultrasonographer drapes a cloth over any exposed areas that are not needed for the exam. <laughs> right. Okay. Check. Number three, uh, we should really get Paul F. Tompkins if we want to do this right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What would he do? Well, he does a great Werner Herzog. Oh, okay. Yeah, we what, should just get Werner Herzog. Oh, man. He's down for whatever, <laughs> it seems like. What stuff should I know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the ultrasonographer applies a mineral oil-based jelly to your skin. Right. Uh, it doesn't say this, or to the condom on the probe. Okay. Uh, the jelly eliminates air between the probe and your skin to help pass the sound waves into your body. Yeah, and if you're lucky, they're using a Siemens Sequoia brand ultrasound machine, which has an onboard gel heater. <laughs> That's right. Are they giving you money? No. Okay. I want some of that Siemens money. I, hey, man, they got, they're loaded. <laughs> they're one of those companies that kind of make everything, right? Yeah, yeah. What if they did hear this and reached out to us and were like, hey, we really appreciate it. We're sending you guys each an ultrasound machine. <laughs> hey, man, I got it can go with my, uh, I've got a Siemens brand uh, car charger, electric car charger. There you go. <laughs> I'll bet that's something that was left off this list. You can charge a car with a, that's right. a decent... Uh, ultrasound machine. Yeah, or at the very least, jump one off. It's, yeah, it's got jumper cables. <laughs> uh, the ultrasonographer covers the probe with a plastic cover. That's the condom. Uh, he slash she, and I'm going to add slash they, nice. pass the probe over your skin to obtain the required images. Depending on the type of exam, the probe may be inserted into you. <laughs> you want to finish up here with the last few? Oh, no, you're doing great. All right. Number six, you may be asked to change position, uh, change positions to get a better looks at the area of interest. <laughs> okay. Here, here, here's 2008 popping up again. Number seven, after the images have been acquired and measurements taken, the data is stored on a disk. You may get a hard copy of the images. Ooh, they may write in Sharpie what it is on the disk even. And then the now two, here, the two here's where it gets, Yeah, this is where it starts to take a kind of a dark turn. <laughs> number eight, you're given a towelette to clean up. <laughs> and number nine, I can't believe this is actually on the list, you get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the grimmest list of procedures you've ever heard of. And they stop at nine. Number 10 should have been... Then you go give them your credit card and pay your copay. Right. Number you, 11, you walk out to the parking lot. Walk deck. out to the parking lot. <laughs> Number 12, walk back in because you forgot to get validated. <laughs> Number 13, check your back seat and make sure there are no creeps there. <laughs> right. Number 14, remove the creep that you found. <laughs> wow. Quite a yeah. list. So um, we were talking about the future of ultrasound, and this, this, uh, this article doesn't really capture it. So I started to look around. I found, weirdly enough, a list of uh, cutting-edge ultrasound stuff on the, in the Daily Mail, of all places. 
And um, the list is actually terrible because it was a Daily Mail article. But one thing that they did talk about was tractor beams, that they figured out that you can actually lift um, something as small as a bead at this point using sound waves. Like in and Star Wars? Like, you would think kind of like Star Wars, but no, not at all. It's actually levitating more than um, a tractor beam. Tractor beam makes it sound like you're pulling something upward toward you. This is actually raising it up away from you. But there are all sorts of applications for this, especially in water, because you can use these sounds in the different arrays um, and the different configurations of arrays to move something left or right. It's called steering the beam. And they actually use it for um, for ultrasound imaging too. But you can actually move things like, say, an oil slick. You could kind of basically drive it into shore or away from shore to some other place where you want to capture it. That's so amazing. So there's actually pretty cool applications for it. Um, in medicine, they've figured out that if you give somebody a drug, say like a chemotherapy drug, um, some of those chemotherapy drugs only partially cross the blood-brain barrier, so they're only partially effective. The rest just gets metabolized and, and you pee it out or whatever. So they figured out that if you give somebody a chemotherapy drug and then blast their brain with an ultrasound um, machine, it will push the drugs past the blood-brain barrier into your brain, and they'll, they'll be that much more effective. Oh, wow. I thought that was pretty cool, too. There was a man who was um, awakened from a coma because the doctor, for some reason, blasted his hypothalamus with a continuous wave beam of ultrasound. But even the doctor was like, this may have been coincidence, but, you know, I don't know. Wow. Man, it seems like there are uh, all sorts of applications that are just starting to tap into. Yeah, I've got a couple more. Let's hear them. uh, Ultrasound-assisted liposuction. Ooh. Basically... Burning up fat cells, driving it out of there. Yes, but that really kind of points out that uh, yeah, this actually can create heat because that's what they're doing is melting fat cells using sound, uh, which is the thing. But then they've also figured out that depending on the frequency of the sound, um, of the sound wave, it can actually stimulate growth and function in cells. So they found that like persistent wounds like ulcers and things like that, you can actually stimulate them to heal by hitting them with sound waves. Wow. Yeah. I love it. Is there anything an ultrasound machine can't do, Chuck? I don't know. I do know, and I'll tell you what the answer to that is, and it's no. (laughs) You got anything else? I got nothing else but a listener mail. Okay, well, that's it for ultrasounds. 47 minutes. That's impressive. It is. Uh, Since I said it's impressive, it's time for listener mail. Uh, Hi, guys. I am an 11-year-old boy from the West Coast. My parents introduced me to your podcast a few years ago, and I became interested in podcasts and podcasting because of you. Nice. Uh, I've recently started my own podcast called A Child's Perspective of Current Events. (laughs) Nice. This sounds wonderful. Yeah, it does. I'm going to check it out. I haven't uh, had a chance to listen yet, uh, Dagan, but he said, I would love it if you would mention my podcast during your listener mail uh-huh. section. It would really help boost my audience uh, slash monthly listeners. Thank you for your time. I really hope you'll consider mentioning me on your podcast. And that is from uh, Dagan Hofeld. Nice name. Uh, and again, it's called A Child's Perspective of Current Events. I love that straightforward name. It's like stuff you should know. It says it yeah. all. It definitely is in the same wheelhouse for sure. Yeah. But you, it's not derivative in any way. No, no, no. Not like it. It's it's just in its, its perfect simplicity. Yep. I love it. And I'm going to give that a listen this afternoon 
uh, Dagan and see how you're doing. And if you need any other advice, just let us know. But so far, the you've done the smartest thing, which was to get someone on a super popular podcast to talk about your podcast. <laughs> right, that's, exactly. That's it step helps. one. It helps. Hopefully you'll get a SYSK bump out of this. And I'm going to go listen to Dagan. So thanks for letting us know. Right? Yeah. Right. If you want to go check out Dagan's uh, podcast, go do that. It's called A Child's Perspective on Current Events. That's <laughs> so great. And in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email like Dagan did. Wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.